All right, thank you guys so much for leading us in a time of worship. Now, we are jumping into this section in uh, the book of Ephesians, which is focusing on our roles uh, as husband and wife and what a marriage should be focused on. Uh, and I hope it's helpful to you, but let's remember that even the passages of Scripture that don't focus on our, our marriage still are going to help us become better at our roles because being better Christians will make us do that. But we are enjoying this section, and hopefully it's been challenging to you. Are you guys familiar with the Crash the Super Bowl ad campaign? Do you know who started that? Crash the Super Bowl campaign. It was started by, I think, Doritos, the, the company. They make those great... Uh, chips. Trenton calls them spicy chips, uh, the, the Doritos. And so they give young filmmakers an opportunity to make the Super Bowl ad for Doritos. And it's a contest and the, the best one wins and it gets its uh, play during the Super Bowl. And that's you know the biggest time of the year that a company wants to advertise. Think about the grace that is involved in that. It's the biggest campaign of the year. Everybody wants to be in on the Super Bowl ad. But Doritos says, hey, we're going to give some lucky upstart, we're going to give him a shot, make the best one, and we'll pull it. That's a lot of grace right there. And if you know, I think even the one that won this year was a very controversial one for the, the liberals, but it was about the ultrasound and the baby kicking and trying to get at the Doritos. I think that was the one that won uh, the contest, crashed the Super Bowl. Now think about that. That's a, nut, that's a lot of grace. And what, these, uh, what the Doritos is trying to do is get the people to advertise them. We want you to come. And we want you to advertise for us. Now imagine the audacity that it would take for the, 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 the young filmmakers. If Doritos were to come to them and say, hey, we want you to make us a film, uh, advertise us, and uh, then come and submit it to us, and we'll see if you, if you win. Imagine the audacity it would take, the arrogance it would take, if the people, the young filmmakers who were doing it, uh, chose not to advertise for Doritos, but chose to make an advertisement for themselves and to submit it to Doritos and say, would you consider playing this instead? I mean, think about that. Uh, the young filmmaker makes a, a film about himself and how great he is instead of the product of Doritos. That would be a pretty arrogant move because Doritos is being so gracious to allow them to advertise the product. What we have in marriage is an opportunity and a design for us to advertise the love of God in the gospel for us. And that's what we're called to do every single time. So really the arrogance it would take for us when we've been called upon God to love in such a way that when people see that love that they think about not us but the love of Christ towards his church, the amount of arrogance it would take if we focused on ourselves uh, would be high arrogance. And yet I think that happens all too often in our marriages. See, last time we, we focused on the wives and we wanted to give them a picture of what it looked like to live as a wife. And if they do that exactly right, they are going to advertise very well for what the love of God is in the gospel. Tonight, we're going to focus on the husbands. And if you do what we're asking you to do tonight, you will fulfill your role of advertising for God's love in your marriage. But if you choose to be selfish, one, think about the arrogance that it takes when God gives you the grace to display his love in marriage. Guys, we've got to eliminate that if we're going to do that. And this text gives us such clarity. If you're not there already, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been given an opportunity to present an ad to the world that this is how God loves. And uh, we want to take advantage of that. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to the church, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And what a great description it is for us, husbands, for us to think that we can magnify to the world, advertise to the world, this is what Christ's love is like in marriage. This is a high calling, but one that I think we're able to do. And it's under this idea of headships. If we look at that last time, wives, submit to your husbands as, Christ, as the church does to Christ. And it's under the idea of headship. Now, headship has gotten a bad rap in the world today, and that's because of a lot of negative examples that come up from people who uh, sinfully take advantage of the role of head. But just because somebody either abuses it by abandoning it or abuses it with arrogance, that doesn't mean we just should abandon the concept altogether because it's how God calls us to live in marriage. So we really need to figure out what this idea of headship and leadership is. Let's put it down this way, husbands. Uh, and wives, you can write this down too because you should be praying for your husbands this way. Let's realize that headship is about sacrificial leadership, not sovereign leadership. It's a very long point, but I hope it gets across the idea that what we are doing as leaders, as the head of the family, is not some sort of dictatorship, but it is about sacrifice. So you need to realize that when you are called as a husband to lead the family this way as the head, it is about sacrifice more than it is sovereignty. And if you don't know what sovereignty means, just think of a king. God is sovereign over all. He's king over all. He has the right to rule, the right to dictate, the right to do whatever he wants because he's God. We as husbands, we don't have that right. See, when you are called to lead, you are called to lead according to a delegated authority that comes from God. You're not making up the rules. You don't get to decide what headship looks like. God's clearly laid that out for us. And in the text here, it says you are to lead by loving your wives the same way that Christ loved the church, which is a sacrificial love. Now think about that. What does that look like? Well, turn with me to Matthew 20. We'll get a little picture of this. We see it in the cross. We understand it. But Jesus described it to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 25 to 27. We're thinking about the idea of making sure we're not uh, becoming the dictator, the Napoleons coming around calling shots and making people follow after us. But what does it mean to sacrifice is clearly summed up by our Lord in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 25 to 27. You know what? It, why don't we back it up to 20? Look at this context. Verse 20, chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him uh, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said, uh, these two sons of mine, I, I want them to sit, one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father." And when the ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, here it is, lord it over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. That's that contrast right there between sacrifice and sovereignty. See, the Gentiles or the non-Christians, the way that they get things done is they lord it over people. They exercise what it would be to be a king, and you must bow to my every whim or it's going to go bad for you. That's not how you lead if you are in God's economy. What does he say? It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what it means to be a leader. And gentlemen, I think we would, sometimes we apologize too much for what the Bible says when it talks about submission. We should never apologize for that. But I think we can make it a much more palatable concept for our wives when we lead this way. I think we would be less uh, nervous to bring up this subject if we were really loving our wives the way that the Bible tells us to. Because you think about Scott's example last week, even if you have a bad boss, you should submit to him, but how much of a joy is it when you have a really good boss? I mean, think about that. When you've ever had a great boss, you love going to work. You love, you love the passion he has, you love the vision he has, you love the drive he has, because he ultimately doesn't care for himself, but he cares for other people. Husbands, if we were to really lead this way, this, this headship way of, of sacrificially loving our wives, we would make their job a, a whole lot easier and make the picture, the advertisement to the world, a, ho a whole lot more attractive. So here's two concepts to think about when it's talking about this leadership. So Christ-like sacrificial leadership is always directed towards the glory of God. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the idea of sacrifice. It is always directed at the glory of God. Because there are some people who sacrifice and they do it well, but they do it for their own namesake or they even do it just for their wives. But ultimately, the Christ-like husband is going to do it because it's going to be honoring and glorifying to God. And then secondly, Christ-like sacrificial leadership is always initiated, not returned. This sacrificial leadership is not reactive, it's proactive. If you want to be a leader, it's because you're an initiator. You're not sitting back on the sidelines, letting things happen, and then you jump in. You're the one leading the charge. You're the one showing the path. You're the one helping people along. You're initiating it in that sense. But it's got to be sacrificial. So I'm going to give you three different areas to always look at and see if you're really being sacrificial, okay? So in this day and age, I think if you're being sacrificial, you are going to sacrifice your time. Just write that down. Sacrifice your time. And this is going to show up in a number of different ways, fellas. But you will sacrifice your time, whether it's to get up early, before the family does, to do your devotions so that you're prepared to lead. Or whether it's you giving up time to come serve at church. Or it's giving up time to go coach your kids' sports. Whatever it is, you are giving up time. You are going to sacrifice in that arena if you are going to be a leader. If you are in here as a husband and you don't feel a burden on your schedule, it's probably because you're not leading. If everything's working out according to plan, it's because you're not doing what you should be doing. You should feel the burden of a schedule because you're sacrificing time to always make sure you're getting done what God has you to do. So always make sure that that's going on. Secondly, you sacrifice your privacy. And I think it's just the natural bent of guys to be a little bit more closed off. We're not that open. Um, but if you're a leader, 
and the people underneath you don't know you, don't know anything about you, it's really hard for them to follow you. So you're sacrificing your privacy when you're a leader. You're up there and you're, you're talking to people, you're developing the relationships between you and your wife, you and your kids. You're not just there on the couch watching TV. You're not just closed off in your room. You're not, you gave up privacy when you became a leader. You are among people. And we see that with Jesus. He was always among people. You sacrifice your privacy. And then three, you sacrifice your comfort. Take a look at your life and would it be described as comfortable? That's not to say we shouldn't rest. We should rest. The Bible commands we rest. It's not to say that you can't find enjoyment in things and have hobbies and do this or that. But if your life is more um, driven by those comforts than it is by sacrifice, then you're not leading the way that God wants you to. All of this would sum up for you, uh, it should equal this, you should feel exhausted at the end of the day, okay? All of this, it sounds exhausting, right? You should feel exhausted. If you're not exhausted at the end of the day, you're not doing it right. But the way that the Bible would describe it would be this, an exhaustion that is satisfied because of the work it's doing. There's a satisfaction that's attached to it. I say that because some people in here are so tied to their work and they're such workaholics that they are exhausted by the end of the day, but they are not satisfied in any sense. When you lay your head down at night as a husband, as a leader, as a father, there should be a sense of satisfaction because you are doing what the king of the universe designed you to do. You read it in Proverbs and Psalms all the time. Your sleep will be sweet. Your sweet will be sleep or your sleep will be sweet. I think it's the second one. Your sleep will be sweet. You lay down and you're able to go to sleep. You're able to rest because you know you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And that rest then leads to a resiliency in you to continue the work no matter how hard it is. That's what it's going to look like if you're doing this correctly. We need to make sure that that is happening. And where we will see this go is where the text goes back in Ephesians. Let's head back there. Watch what happens when you love this way sacrificially. Jesus did that for a purpose with the church, and it should be that way with us and our wives. Ephesians 5, 26. He's going to love her this way. He's going to give himself up, sacrifice, initiate, direct, all because he wants to sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Is somebody allergic to something? I'm hearing like sneezes everywhere. What is going on? Anyways, are you guys okay? Everybody's fine? I just heard a lot of sneezing. Everybody's good? Mark, you're fine? Good, okay. So that he might present the church to himself without spot or any wrinkle or any such thing that the church might be holy and without blemish. This is where sacrificial leadership leads to. If you are doing this for your wife for the right reasons, it will lead to your wife's holiness and sanctification. So number two, guys, get it down this way. Let's prioritize your wife's holiness. You're going to prioritize that as the position it should be, number one. I'm going to make sure that my wife pursues holiness. I'm going to make sure that my wife is sanctified in that sense. Now, I want to clarify, that does not mean that you are the Holy Spirit in your wife's life, okay? Some people wrongly assume that, okay? That doesn't mean husbands, when the pastor makes a point, and you really agree with the point, and you elbow your wife like, hey, you should really listen to that. I'm sanctifying you right now. That's not what I'm talking about in that sense. You are not the Holy Spirit. If your wife is a Christian, she has a spirit, 
And that is enough for her to feel the conviction in that sense. But you should be leading in such a way that you cultivate an arena where she can really grow in holiness. And we need to make sure that we are doing that because that is the outcome of this. So here's how you're going to do that, guys, okay? If you're going to prioritize your wife's holiness, number one, you are going to be a genuine model to imitate. If you are going to make sure your wife can grow in holiness and her growth in Christlikeness is number one, you're going to make sure you're a model she can imitate. Because nothing is worse than a hypocritical leader who thinks that he's leading his wife in holiness and is not growing himself. You, if you are concerned for your wife's holiness, you yourself will be pursuing holiness in your own life. It's the idea of imitation. You can just write down 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. You know, if I were to ask you what doctrine or what teaching did Paul do in every single arena that he went to, you'd probably give a number of different opinions at that point in time. We talked about God and the sovereignty or the gospel and all that. But 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says something like, everywhere I go, I teach people to watch my life and imitate it. That's what it means to be a leader. You have something in you that is imitatable, and you have something in you that causes you not to be a hypocrite, but one who is, you can take a look at my life, and if you do this, you also will be following in holiness as well. We need to make sure that's happening. In our Bible study here, it makes, it makes uh, this happen too. Make sure that when there's accountability, you are making sure your wife gets to go. You have kids, you're taking care of the kids that night. You're taking care of dinner, you're cleaning the house. Whatever you need to do to make sure your wife gets out of the house and to that accountability, that's what you're going to do. Or if you know, she got off work late, you're going to make her dinner so she doesn't have to go anywhere else, and you're going to send it with her so she can head straight from work to accountability. You're going to make sure that your wife gets there because you know that that interaction with other women is going to help spur her on to greater holiness. If you're a leader in your family, you're going to make sure that that happens. Number three, you're going you're to make sure she's doing her own individual quiet time in prayer, you know, those types of things. What? I just told you. I said the first one, be an imitator. Second one, go to accountability. Third one, now I'm going to add is be a better listener. And then, I'm kidding, no, I'm kidding. Guys, come on, you set me out for this stuff. Why do I say stuff like that? I don't know why I do. I should stop. Really, don't imitate that, please. Make sure she reads her Bible and does that, and don't do what Pastor Elliot just did. You guys are so kind to put up with me. Notice that she's doing that. Make sure that she's reading her Bible on her own, doing her own Bible study, and make sure she's praying, okay? Those individual things need to be going on in her life. And that's as simple as you're driving in the car, and you just say, you know, hey, sweetie, what, what are you studying in women's Bible study? Or... What did you read last night in that? Just simple questions like that to make sure that's going on individually in her life. But why we do Thrive Together is this is number four. You should be doing Bible study and prayer together, okay? Did that help, Mark? Number four, you Bible study and prayer together. Because now we don't want to be so individualistic that we're not in the Bible together. That's why we do questions together. That's why we should be praying together. Um, at that point in time, we want to make sure that that is happening. And then the last one, I forget what number it is now, I think five, five. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Check that she has the desire and is doing uh, this sharing the gospel and inviting people to church. I mean, wives have so much more interaction with 
uh, other moms around complexes and schools and things like that. It should be a, a, a breeding ground for inviting people to church or sharing the gospel and doing that. Um, and that's going to really promote her holiness. Because if she's not growing in holiness, she's not going to care about other people. But if she is growing in holiness, she's going to care about lost people that she's with, inviting them to church, extravaganza, all these things that we got here. Make sure that those types of things are going on in her life. If this is not, then the temptation will be for her to go towards sinful things. And as a husband, you should care that your wife doesn't do that. Sin makes us think irrationally. If you think about Hebrews 3, uh, 12 and 13, we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We don't want that to happen with our wives. And we'll start to think wrongly if we do. I, I had a story uh, forwarded to me, a very uh, intense story, about a, a woman who, uh, this is not, not a joke, she, I guess this is a thing, and it commonly happens, took a raccoon as a pet. You ever heard of that? Took a raccoon as a pet. Apparently they're really cute when they're young. Um, so she took a raccoon as a pet. One of her friends was like, well, I know these are like wild creatures, so I'm going to ask my veterinarian friend. So he goes and says, hey, uh, my friend, she has, this, uh, she has this raccoon that she has as a pet. Is that okay? And he's like, uh, I would tell her to get rid of it immediately because as soon as it hits maturity, it develops an independence and aggressiveness that will cause the pet to turn on its owner. And the guy was like freaked out when that happened and he cared for his friend and he went over and told her, he's like, hey, this is going to happen. You really have to get rid of this pet because it's, it's going to hurt you. And you know what she said? It will be different for me. It'll be different for me. That's an irrational statement when you think about it. I just told you a doctor, a veterinarian said, this is going to happen. This animal will attack you. It will hurt you if you keep it around. She said, no, it'll be different for me. Two months later, she needed reconstructive surgery on her face because the raccoon turned on her and slashed at her face. Now think about that. How often do we have our own pet sins? We think it'll be different for me. It's not going to end up like it did for that other person. It won't do that. We too often rationalize that, and when we are by ourselves, we will think that way. But if I care for holiness, I'm going to make sure my wife never thinks that way. I'm going to make sure I don't think that way. I'm going to be pursuing holiness. She's going to be pursuing this. Also that we can glorify God together. Guys, we've got to make sure that we're doing this for our wives. Never let her think that way. Have her think the way that would promote godliness. Because when we live this way and the husband fulfills his role that God has designed and ordained for him, and the wife fulfills the role that God has designed and ordained for her, we present such an advertisement to the world for the gospel that really... Uh, there's nothing they can say against it. You know, you think about the, the idea of, uh, what was his name, Daniel. There was nothing to say against him. Remember, his, his captors had to make up stuff. They had to make up stuff about him. Um, that's what they would have to do with us. If we lived this way and we presented this picture to the world, they would have to find, make up lies, do something towards us because we would be giving such a great picture of the gospel that would give us opportunities to speak. It was said that Benjamin Franklin, when he wanted, to, uh, he wanted people on the street to start to adopt this idea of lighting a lamp outside on their street so at night people would be safe. And nobody wanted to do it until he put up this, this uh, light post, got really nice glass, cleaned it, put a nice candle in there, and began every night just to light the candle. And amidst the darkness, 
Every night that he did that, people were like really attracted to what was going on over there. People didn't trip as much going over there. People noticed that you're going to be safer over there where the light is. And they began to see that and think, oh, yeah, maybe we should start doing that. And they began to do that, and that began to spread. If we have the opportunity as husbands and wives to advertise for God that way amidst the dark world, we hope we spur on other Christians to do that same thing so that we can share the light of the gospel by saying, hey, what you see here is only possible because of the grace of God. When you do that, you do exactly what God designed you to, and you are advertising him to the world in a pleasing way. That should be our goal. That should be our aim. And it will happen, husbands, when you step up and lead the way that God wants you to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this time, uh, as brief as it was, God, to look at your word. And I pray that we would be challenged by it to move forward uh, as leaders. So, God, may the men in the room desire to step up that way. May the ladies do what they can to encourage that, Father, also that your uh, glory might be advertised to the world. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, real quick word uh, before the...